Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the Report 32. And uh, my name is Daniel Linhares with Iowa State. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan with Iowa State. And we have a special guest here today. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Mark Schwartz, uh, which is a friend he owns the and works as director of uh, production systems at the, in the Schwartz Farms. And uh, Mark also serves on the advisory board for the uh, Swine Disease Reporting System. And uh, just a fun fact, he's also working on top of all that. He's also working in his master's degree uh, with the University of Minnesota group. Hi, Mark. Good afternoon, Daniel. Good afternoon, Giovanni. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us today, Mark. We are going to go over the report and... Uh, ask you questions as as we go. So before talking about PERS virus, which, which is the first uh, item here in the agenda, would like to ask, uh, start, Mark, by asking you as a producer, how much and why do you spend money on diagnostic testing? And uh, what are the dece decisions you make uh, based on those diagnostic results? That's a great, great uh, question to start with, uh, Daniel, because it's, it's such a key integral part of our of our system is uh, using diagnostic capability um, to understand an emerging problem or a disease on a farm or in a flow of pigs, uh, as well as to uh, surveillance uh, of replacement gilts, for example, in quarantine, uh, in, in isolation, uh, for routine monitoring to understand our, our for example, per status on each of the of the uh, fifteen uh, sow farms, and so um, there's a wide variety of, of, of reasons we use diagnostics, um, but narrows down into major categories are for understanding the status of replacement animals prior to opening up a quarantine, and mm -hmm. to understand the status of the wean pig flow if there's a change from positive to negative, uh, PERS, for example, um, and as well as when we are nearing completion or at the end phases of elimination programs, whether that's for PERS or uh, several mycoplasmas uh, programs in place right now, as we work to understand our status, if we've been successful in elimination, to do aggressive, robust testing uh, with various means either for PERS or for uh, mycoplasma for those closures. And then, of course, for the ongoing um, diagnostics in the nursery phase, the grow-finish phase, uh, whether it's a PERS, uh, flu, uh, enteric diseases, uh, et cetera. So you know, um, integral part of our, of our production system is, is using the diagnostic capabilities of the diagnostic laboratories. And, and how much would a production system um, spend on diagnostic per sow or per pig or per year? That's a good question. I, I don't know that number. It's, it's, it's large uh, as an absolute number on a per pig basis. Um, it's relatively small. Um, and obviously with the <clears throat> capabilities of pooling samples, for example, uh, spreads are our diagnostic dollar. Uh, we, we, we try to use them wisely and not uh, 
send in, in diagnostic uh, uh, samples for uh, when we, we know a flow, for example, has a certain uh, pathogen or, or, or status, not to over-test. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's um, a challenge because testing has become easier. Uh, I do have a, a, some numbers here I can show. Uh, this is something I prepared a couple of years ago, Daniel, for the ASV um, uh, meeting. And I, I looked at the number of submissions we uh, Schwartz Farms uh, uh, submitted for diagnostic uh, testing at the laboratory, the laboratories. And it, it, it's increased in the last number of years. And one reason is that it's easier. Um, processing fluids and oral fluids primarily have made the uh, process much easier to, to, uh, to do compared to collecting blood samples and, and tissue samples, et cetera. So um, to attempt to put this into relative terms, I said, well, yes, we submitted more samples to the diagnostic laboratory uh, over time, but our company grew over time. And so I looked at the submissions relative to the change in mm-hmm. our number of sows or pigs uh, finished as we do by some, some wean pigs also outside of the system. So, yes, in, in relative terms also, we have uh, submitted more samples to the diagnostic laboratory. Again, that coincides with uh, the change in, in status to, to getting sow farms negative and and not um, using continuous exposure, for example, to, to PERS virus and replacement gilts. So you have negative herds and you have negative gilts coming in. We test more aggressively than we did years ago. Um, and, and oral fluids also, it's easier on the nursery and grow finish phase of production mm-hmm. to submit samples to understand your status. So those, um, that has changed. We have increased our number of submissions to the laboratory over the past number of years in relative terms. All right, thanks, uh, Mark, and thanks for sharing that. So let's get in the the first section of the report, which is PCR, uh, uh, I mean, uh, agent detection here by PCR. And Giovanni, the first one in the list is the PERS page, right, PERS RNA detection by PCR. What are the highlights for this month in the report? Well, th- this month we are entering the period of the year where the detection of PERS virus type can go up. And did, uh, it is repeating in 2020 when compared with last year's. And from August to, to September, the PERS virus detection went up 2%. And that's basically uh, contributed by detection in winter market animals that had a substantial increase by 6% from last month to this one. When we look for this detection at a state level, we saw uh, increased detection above three standard deviation in Nebraska, Missouri, and Indiana, and specifically for winter market animals that was above in the Corn Belt region from Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. The advisory group did point out that this increase in detection in winter market animals is most contributed by the changes in the weather of this period of the year, lateral breaks between winter market farms, and introduction of negative pigs inside of positive regions. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the advisory group says that more research is needed to understand the lateral transmission between PERS virus 
and document the cost benefit of interventions like biosecurity on the farms. Until we don't have those tools completely done, um, uh, coordinating wireless negative speaks and using immunological intervention, like for example as a vaccine, could be helpful to reduce this impact of PERS virus in the animals. All right, and so in going back to going back to Mark, Mark, this is another year. Uh, it has been 30 years or so of PERS virus. And uh, it, uh, it's always there, but but uh, the outbreaks come and go in a seasonal kind of fashion. As we start, uh, the we, we have the first signals here that the season this year is about to start, right, as demonstrated by the numbers, numbers in growth finish. I'd like to turn back to you and ask, uh, uh, in your opinion and in your experience, what are the key factors that have helped you guys to manage uh, PERS virus throughout the years? Yes, that's, uh, you know, Dan- Daniel, the, the PERS virus obviously is the pathogen um, that uh, that we struggle with in the industry and have for, for many years. And and we're doing, a as an industry, doing a, a better job measuring the change in, in incidence and prevalence. You know, the MCHIMP project is, is going on, I believe, 11 years now, and now the Swine Disease Reporting Service to quantify uh, two different systems, right? One is driven from submissions and one is a voluntary basis, but both robust systems. And, and so we're able to understand uh, at least a starting point in our industry of, of trying to quantify the, the amount of virus that we're dealing with. And, um, you know, like I think Chesterton said, we're all in the same boat and we're all seasick, right? Um, I think for a lot of a lot of years, we as an industry, we always pretended that we were were different than the other producers, and we we didn't struggle with these problems. And at, at some point, we're finally getting this information out and understanding as an industry uh, where we're at. So, how we can use this information again is understanding um, when you get understanding in a regional basis and and um, control measures, right? So you we use vaccine as a control measure on certain flows going into certain areas regionally. If we are, have farms, one we have farms making naive negative pigs, um, unvaccinated going into very clean areas, especially clean areas in which we have agreements with other producers on sites that are relatively close to one of their production sites, we call them protected sites, since we work with that information. So understanding that, uh, the status, the true status, and using this information both through S, uh, swine disease reporting and through MSHIMP have helped us understand the seasonality and the control measures for PERS in, in, in particular. It's a key word there, at least my mind, is what we're talking about regional control, right? It's not just this site or that site. We still want to make the best decision as possible to each site, but you got to bring it to the whole system or at least a kind of regional perspective, right? So that you can try to decrease that pressure of, in, of infection and, and do your best as, as in a populations of populations and not just one or individual farms, right? Yeah. All right. So flip, uh, uh, flipping the page here to the next page of the report, 
we have we're now talking about uh, PCR detection of coronaviruses and so Giovanni in this page the report covers uh, the uh, the three coronavirus PED Delta TGE what are the take homes for for this page similar to what is happening with PERS virus detection of PED start to increase this month and uh, that is basically 2% more from last month from August to September and that's happening in adult cell farms and winter market animals the last two weeks of September detection of delta coronavirus is increasing in adult cell farm overall in the month the detection of delta coronavirus was similar to last month but there is a change that is being captured by the data TG virus we did not have detection for September of 2020 as we did not have detection for TG in September of 2019 and 2018. The advisor group did point out that there was some uh, breaks with enteric coronavirus in winter Finnish farms that was associated with trailer contamination and that was from the east to the mid-east of the United States region covering all the, the place. Few things that the advisory council reminders that are very important to control the uh, coronavirus introduction in the farms first is try to avoid visitors from outside of the site and implementing very simple biosecurity measures as having clear demarcation of clean and dirt areas and require visitors and works to change clothes to assess the site. It's it's simple, but it's it's, it's still in the, in the industry. Don't want to speak to uh, it's extrapolate this for all to all industry, but still it's common. We we see at least uh, some finishing sites that still don't have some of those basic biosecurity uh, measures in place. Right, uh, there are a lot of finishers that they do have the the showers, but uh, people don't necessarily take the shower showering shower out which is very different from south farms. I think it's pretty common. I mean, I would say rare to find a south farm where you don't at least change clothes to get in, right? So how do you see all that, Mark? I mean, both for PERS virus and for PED, as Giovanni highlighted here, there's a, a the detection rate, the positivity rate, it's kind of starting to, to, to spike, right, in terms of uh, those pathogens detection, specifically in growth finishing pigs. What can the what can people do in addition to that they already do year round, right? We don't want to send a message that biosecurity is seasonal. You only need biosecurity now. Biosecurity is year round. But what can you do in addition to what you already do as a producer to keep these viruses out of out of that population? Another great question, and, and you know, it is interesting in, because it, it's the um, perhaps producers can cut corners seasonally and and get by, right? I mean, temperature and, and daylight uh, length and all those factors um, reduce the probability of, of a PD uh, surviving on, on a truck or trailer. And, and it was a very hot summer, July. We had a, a maybe a record hot uh, July. And so mm-hmm. you can cut corners and cheat and, and, and you're not going to see this increase. And I noticed on your, on your uh, report of the, uh, the syndromic report on PD, it's interesting. It's, it appears to be much less prevalent uh, in 20 compared to 19, 
but the signal that's given that, again, that may be changing. Um, so, you know, in a system, again, that you're, you're attempting to prevent uh, uh, PD at, at any level, but um, it's evident in, in the real finish phase, most every break we have in the finishing barn site is, is associated with a marketing event. Um, a truck coming back to a site. And um, so, again, we've learned seasonally uh, how to take precautions when we to use this uh, diagnostic results when there is a finishing site that's uh, PD positive, um, redirecting the supervisory staff, redirecting the, the, the uh, feed deliveries when possible, making sure we're not sending maintenance people to that site um, uh, and then to other sites. And so, again, it's, it's uh, having information, having data um, based on diagnostics, confirming, yes, it's PED or no, it's not, and, and making decisions, management decisions, uh, day-to-day decisions based off that information. Um, what else could the industry do? Um, I am a strong believer that our, our Achilles heel is our market transportation system unwashed trailers coming back to finishing sites mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. times per day, multiple times prior to a wash. And when we see what, how PED spread in uh, rapidly in, in June of 2013, that exposed our, our weak link very, very rapidly. We've improved as an industry, but that is my concern is um, uh, the next pathogen novel one of, of any sort that will be our weak link in, in, in preventing that spread throughout uh, regionally and throughout the United States. And as you talk about regionally, the, that risk is at the end of the finishing, right? When you're, you're talking about marketing uh, p- pigs and having the trucks back and forth, uh, people, some producers may struggle to find the economic kind of, justification to wash that truck since the pigs are just going away. But as, as you remind, you've been reminding us since the beginning of the conversation, it's got to think about that region aspect. And so if you have pathogens coming back and forth, uh, the risk to bring those back to the south farm or to other finishing or, or grow, fi- grow, uh, uh, grow finishing phase that are kind of earlier in the phase, right? That uh, the, the risk is there, right, Mark? Right. Yeah. And one, one, one change in many systems, I believe, uh, the uh, years ago would be more uh, south farm nursery finisher. Now it's more wean to finish. With the nursery finisher model, at least you had a, a barrier there, a buffer from the south farm to the nursery and nursery to finish. So your market pig transport trailers were going to the finishing barn and you weren't coming back to a wean finished barn. Um, in which the South Farm trailer was was crossing paths. So we removed that buffer in, in a big share of the industry, putting that South Farm back at risk and then creating more virus and, and then to, again, move more positive pigs throughout, throughout a region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, what else? So next in the in the report here, Giovanni, it's mycoplasma, high pneumonia, uh, DNA detection by PCR, 
and uh, numbers are also on the rise, but uh, as expected by the forecast models, right, for this time of the year. What are the highlights, Giovanni, for mycoplasma, Hyunamoni? As you said, the, there was a substantial increase from September to August, and this comes at the time of the year that it is expected. Field observations mention that is within what they are as, uh, seen in the field in expecting for this time of the year. And this detection of PCR from four VDLs, when we do a bridge to the I-State VDL disease diagnosis, we are seeing an increase in diagnosis of mycoplasma at this time of the year. So both are kind of associated and is, as I mentioned, expected for this time of the year. Mm-hmm. And so bringing back to you, Mark, uh, talking about mycoplasma monitoring, you've been sh showing recently here at the uh, uh, Lehman Conference some novel ways to, to, to monitor that in suckling pigs, right? Want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, in that presentation, it was uh, the ability to, to uh, collect oral fluids off of the, the nursing pig that, uh, in, in, in because of the, the nature of the of how that pig is being raised and the wean age. It's just a more, uh, the pig is more aggressively um, going after these ropes to, to allow us to, to get oral fluid uh, samples. Um, in that situation, that's a mycoplasma negative flow and, and most of our system is and plan to be 100% negative uh, uh, 12 months from now. So mm -hmm. for us, the mycoplasma detection is, again, in exposing those replacement animals intentionally and having um, confirmation of that during this closure phase, this mycoplasma elimination phase. And again, so it's critical that we have a system in place that we can um, that we were able to to know the status uh, post-exposure and then understand the status at the end of that closure. So this is one that I've worked on very hard for the last 10 years is mycoplasma elimination from our entire system. Um, it's interesting to me on, on, on the Swine Disease Reporting Service data, it looks like the number of submissions for mycoplasma high pneumonia is decreasing relative to the previous year's And then the, the the relative positive rate would be somewhat steady, but um, uh, you know that for me begs the question: Is it, do the cases drive the testing, or the testing drive the cases? Mm -hmm. uh, especially with mycoplasma, um, and in uh, our system it would tend to be a, a year-round phenomena on the positive flows. On the negative ones, we we don't test those. So that's one that I'm hoping that 12 months from now I won't have to pay a lot of attention to uh, and, and then keep the system negative. And that's an obvious question, but uh, the, 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 the motivation to go negative is, is, to, is better when to finish performance, right? Correct. It's uh, in, in moderately challenged flows with other pathogen, PERS and or flu, It's expensive in, in the wrong set of uh, mix of pathogens. It, it is, it's a disaster. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the answer, in my opinion, our opinion is to be negative. Mm -hmm. All right. So, 
Moving on here to the final page of the report, it's about disease diagnosis. So beyond just pathogen detection, that's disease diagnosis as confirmed by a diagnostician. And uh, Giovanni, what are the highlights for this month? At this month, we had a, a increase in diagnosis, a little bit of everything, basically. We had mycoplasma hormone, we had coccidiosis, we had streptococcus, we had bordetella, septica, and we have clostridiosis. So it's a period of the year that the weather starts to change, the diseases start to be more frequent affecting the animals, and we had this small increase of uh, diagnosis of, uh, identified by the algorithm that we monitor this data. So, Mark, how, how, do, how do you guys at uh, Schwartz Farms use this uh, information about disease diagnosis? Um, for macroepidemiological standpoint and to kind of make decisions in the system based on those on that data. Yeah, I think it, it becomes evident uh, quickly. Work to get PERS negative. Uh, don't live with it. Uh, we've done that in the past, and at times you're you're limited of how many sites you can and close at once and and uh, and manage the elimination programs, but. Again, PERS is that driver of most times, many times, uh, and you can have a PERS negative and some flu, and and and, the, and you're going to have acceptable reduction. You can have PERS negative. You have some strep. When you combine those pathogens, is is again control the ones you can control to, to get negative. Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as a flu negative breeding herd. Um, if there is, we don't, we're not able to, to do that, but PERS we can, and it takes a lot of work and, and patience and, but to, it just, to me illustrates clearly the, the importance of, of managing the pathogens we can, eliminating the ones we can, and, um, the ones we can't are, are, are less severe, less detrimental. Um, again, using the report, it's interesting to me, um, the increase in, in, in coccidiosis on, on, that was picked up by this, by the reporting service. Um, and I would, in our system, uh, I had the same situation. We had coccidiosis on, on a couple of breeding herds in, uh, that we have not dealt with historically. And it's interesting how that, as an industry, that those trends move in tandem. Um, and that per se, do we make a management decision from? No, in this situation, we, we do what we can to um, sanitation and hygiene and controlling coccidiosis. But it's very interesting to me to see that change. Again, there's a shortage of a product that's effective uh, in using uh, for coccidia control. Again, did that shortage of product create the increase or did the increase create the shortage of product of, uh, of the product? And so, uh, I look at that and, and attempt to understand what should we be going, what should we work on, right? If we um, are effective in our elimination of, of mycoplasma, what can and can't be controlled and and eliminated possible? Yeah, I like I like your uh, your your story to keep keep uh, dr drive the system to a healthier system and yeah, yeah. it it's a. Uh, it, it pays off, right? So with that, uh, Mark, 
that's uh, about we had here for today. Always uh, like uh, your your perspectives, all, always uh, science driven, as our friend uh, Bob Morrison would say. You're the the most scientific producer, <laughs> and so it's because uh, it's always kind of uh, based based on data, data driven. And so, what is the what are the final messages here that you have for for today, Marcus? Will be interesting. To me, uh, on a broader view, is just the importance of of uh, the creation of these of these projects, such as the Swine Disease Reporting Service of the MCHIMP project. Um, those projects in which, as an industry, uh, you know, from a voluntary basis of a bunch of producers uh, that comprise a good share of the number of sows in the U.S. who voluntarily report changes in per status and PD, et cetera. And then the, the ancillary offshoots of that and the swine disease reporting service, having this data from multiple uh, VDLs to understand the trends and the emerging diseases in our industry. To me, it's critically important uh, going forward. You know, I time goes fast and I, I don't, but I you think in the recent years, the number of new pathogens we've dealt with, right? We've gone from circovirus and PD and, 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 um, in, in just a number of years. And so having that, unfortunately for the next emerging disease is important mm-hmm. that as an industry, we're not floundering around trying to react to it. And so I think it just, it's healthy as an industry, what we've been working on uh, to help producers individually and for the good of the industry uh, across our in, in our industry in the country. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Thanks again for taking the time to be with us, Mark. It has been a pleasure to have you as our special guest this uh, this month in the SDRS program. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. I'm honored to to uh, have been asked and to share my thoughts and and uh, and thank you for your for your hard work and with this with this project. We're having fun with it. Can tell you that. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Thank Daniel. You. Thank you. Thanks, Giovanni. Let me whisper.